With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Every single day. 
Again, we offer this service uh, for DNNY, and it's absolutely free. Now, here we go. I'll fasten your safety belts, please. <laughs> Our featured guest <laughs> for this podcast is Lorraine Gibney, a longtime member of Disclosure Network New York, and I have to say a stellar researcher and wonderful, wonderful speaker. Welcome, Lorraine. How you doing, Nick? Oh, I'm so happy that you could join us uh, for this uh, podcast. I've been so looking forward uh, to chatting with you. Uh, I well, want to I'm start glad off. that you'd be given the opportunity to do so. Oh, listen, it's my pleasure. And I wanted to start this off like I do with most podcasts with a little background for the uh, guest tonight. Uh, Lorraine, where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born up? in New York City. I was born on 22nd Street in Manhattan. Uh, my family, my father was from Perry Street, but my mother was from Jersey. Uh, and right before I went to school, we moved to Jersey. But for the most okay. part, all my relatives still live in New York. The ones that wow. are alive, that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any brothers and sisters? I do. I have two brothers and one sister. Okay. Okay. And um, I know you've been a researcher certainly ever since I've known you when you go very deep into the subjects. Um, mm-hmm. I have to ask you, um, right off the bat, you told the group about one particular uh, incident with you and a, a special friend of yours who uh, had a bit of a a time uh, a time uh, lapse. Yes, my or friend a... Sonia, my friend Sonia and I were walking right. uh, in the in the village. We were up by 28th Street, and we were going to 14th Street to meet somebody else, my friend Amethyst. And uh, <clears throat> and Sonia and I, we were walking around. Um, we were right by uh, the limelight. And what had happened was the week before we went to a party in the limelight and they had just remodeled the limelight. And the day that Sonia and I were walking towards 14th Street, we passed the limelight. We were on, I don't know if that's 6th Avenue, I think so. Anyway, so we were walking past it and all of a sudden when we went past it, it was all like boarded up. And there was a woman taking pictures outside. And me and Zhuzha, that was her name, Zhuzha, me and Zhuzha were uh, were wondering why it was all boarded up. And Zhuzha said to me, Lorraine, why is it boarded up? And I said, I don't know. I said, I said maybe there was a fire in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I walked over to the woman who was taking pictures. And I said, uh, excuse me, I said, what happened here? And she goes, what do you mean, what happened? She goes, they're remodeling. I said, wait a minute. I said, they can't be remodeling again. I said, why are they doing it again? I said, my friend Juja and I were with my friend Sonia the other night, and it had just been remodeled. And she goes, well, I don't know. And she kind of like stepped away from us like we were crazy. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> So, and I knew I wasn't crazy because just two nights before that, uh, I was smoking inside the back. In the back, there's like a gate, a little gate where they had like a little tiny backyard. Right. And when we were going past there, the woman was taking pictures and I looked in there and I said, 
I said, Juja, I was just in there, and there was like a there was like a big a washing machine. It was really disarray. It was really dirty. It was really bizarre. So okay. So then what happened was I said, you know what, whatever. So the woman was taking pictures. We left her, and we started walking towards 14th Street. And we'd walk down 28th Street or 26th Street. I'm not really sure what that block is, one of those blocks. Well, we're walking towards 14th Street, and we walk down the same block as, as the limelight. And I'm walking and walking, and me and Juju were looking around, and it was really bizarre because uh, there were old bicycles, there were old cars. And then we looked, and there was this thing that I knew what it was. It was actually the lifts that they used when they used to have garages for the cars. But see, Juju was from Albania, all right? So she didn't know what the hell they were. So she said to me, she goes, what is that? And I, and I said, well, that is for cars. I said, it's a lift. I said, they used to have them a long time ago. And she goes, really? I said, yeah. So we kept on walking and towards 8th Avenue. And it seemed like we were walking forever. I mean it. The blocks were weird. The weather was weird. It was kind of like misty. Anyway, so we walked and walked. But the thing that really puzzled me was when we went past a couple into a couple of blocks in, in on 28th, um, there was a little tiny store that was selling parquet floors. Now, parquet floors haven't been around since like the 1920s. I mean, right. occasionally you'll have a store that, that'll specialize in that, but very rarely. Anyway, so we're walking, and then finally we hit at the end of the block. And when we get to the end of the block, or blocks, I look, and we're in front of the limelight again. What? And I totally, <laughs> totally flipped out, okay? What? But I didn't want to scare, I didn't want to scare Zhuzha. I mean, I was very scared. I didn't know what the hell. I was like, what the fuck am I? Sorry about that. I said, what am I like in the Twilight Zone? So, okay. It sounds so it, it sounds exactly like one of the major episodes of the Twilight Zone. Like, exactly. here we go. So, right. So we're in front of the limelight again. The woman in taking pictures is gone. And everything is pristine again. All right. I look, I can't no. believe it. I was like, where's the, where's the, where's the washing machine? Okay, so I was a little off balance, so Juja said to me, let's take a cab, and I'm looking at her, and I'm going, I am not getting in a cab. I was like, I was like, we're walking. So we proceeded to walk, but we were both kind of really frazzled. And I mean, that was it. We finally walked to 14th Street, but we were really puzzled by the whole entire thing that happened. Uh, and I don't know what happened. To this day, I don't know what happened with that. That is that is crazy. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was um, very very strange. Yeah, yeah. That who wouldn't be just totally confused? Like something is up. Yeah. Why is this right. happening? Sometimes when I've walked in New York, as you know, Lorraine, they do they shoot a fair amount of movies here. Yes. And occasionally, I'll walk um, uh, past some old cars, but then I see that there's trucks, movie trucks and lights and everything, and, and they're, they're doing a movie. And so they're doing like a time, a time kind of movie uh, way back when. So they have cars right. and things like that. 
but I, I kind of no, but this was not like that. No, this I know. Was not, I, know. I, I can't explain it to you. It was the whole the whole air, the whole energy had changed. Yeah. I no, really that, don't know how to explain good. it. I don't know what happened to us. All I know is it happened, and I, and I still, to this day, I don't know. But I will tell you this. In front of the limelight, in the street, there is what are called the to- Toby, uh, they're called the Toby tiles, Toynbee tiles. What's and that? it's really interesting because the Toynbee tiles, okay, they're all over the city, okay, and nobody knows who made them, and they just appear. And they're not only in the United States, they're all over the world. Where, where are they? In towns or where are they? Where are they? They're all over. There's one on 42nd Street. There's one on 28th Street. There's some on the east side. There's some on the west side. They're in Brazil. They're in South America. What, what do now, they look like? Okay, they're tiles, and they have little tiny symbols and signs on them. Huh. And they go back to, okay, in the 60s, there was Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury wrote a book. It was called The Toynbee Conveyor. And it's largely based on Toynbee was a sociologist. <coughs> sociologist what? slash psychologist. And he wrote some science fiction, but there's a whole there's a whole phenomenon behind it. And they ha- even have a documentary. And the documentary, they tried to identify who this person was. And they really, they only speculate who it was. They really never found out who it was. And they do you just have appear. An idea, do you have an idea, like, what, what was up with them? Like, why they were there? Well, they're tri- attributing it to someone who just supposedly created a car with a drop bottom. And he would just put them, you know, through the, top, through the bottomless floor in the car. But that doesn't make sense because someone would see them, number one, and where they're located is really bizarre. It's like in the middle of the street. And now no, – uh, no, Come to think of it, Lorraine, I've seen – and you're absolutely right. I, I've been all over the city many times, and I have seen these, and people walk past them not having a clue what they're really stepping right. on, but they're there. That's right. And they're ta- And it talks about – uh, you know, it talks about Saturn. Uh, hmm. There's something about uh, sending human beings to to live on in Saturn. It's really bizarre. Um, wow. I, I'm I'm trying to look on my computer to give you exactly what's on them, but it's from the movie. It was from the movie by Rad Brad, Ray Bradbury. It's called the Toynbee Conveyor. Okay. Okay. You know, I've uh, when I've seen them, they look like mosaics, like little yes, white that's mosaics. What they are. Tiles, They're right? tiles. They're called Toynbee but, tiles. Right, but then there's messages within the tiles, which is yes. which is a lot of work. I mean, you you have to be yes. really gifted to do a well, mosaic. See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's really it's really strange that you, they just appear. But not only that, that nobody has actually seen the person who did it. I find it extremely weird. Not only that. The fact that they went all over the world to do them, and, and the real reason is why. Why would somebody do that? 
so if I were going to a, 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 a city in Europe, Paris or Rome or or Amsterdam or something, would I perhaps see them and also embedded well, in the apartment? I'm not sure about those places. I definitely know in South America they are. Really? Okay. Yes, they're all over the world. Wow. Well, that's 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 wild. And you know, when you start looking, you will find them, and they're in strategic places. And yes. a lot of times, in major near major stores that or major uh, yes. streets and 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 the. Uh, uh, avenues. That's where they'll find. And usually, if I'm not mistaken, they're usually at the end of the block where you would walk. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. But not okay. all the time. You, you mean not all you, the time. You mean you, you've seen one in a certain place and you go back to the same place and it's not there? Well, no. Is, what I'm saying is that they're they're not only in, you know, thoroughfares that are, that are populated. A lot of times, sometimes they're not very populated. They're all over the place. Okay. Wow. That that's wild. That that is a that's just a wild, wild thing. Um, okay. So I want to move to another a time displacement, and it has to do with an old store. You had you had relayed this story to me a while. Oh, back, you're talking about I, the place on Third Street. The, the 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 that's a fascinating story about time displacement. Would you be willing to share that with our listeners sure. tonight? That was another thing that happened to me. And and you know the thing that's so curious is that when this happens to me, I'm never alone. It's not like it just happens to me. Usually the people that I'm with also experience it. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Okay. That's this time was with my friend Sonia. Now Sonia and I were walking in the village. Now, the reason why we're in the village to begin with was I was doing research. I was actually writing a play about Edgar Allan Poe. And when I wrote the thing about Edgar Allan Poe, I was doing I was investigating the area in that and which was Third Street. Okay. Now, this was very strange. Uh it was it was actually 125 Third Street. Okay? And now it's a hardware store. It's called Brickman Hardware. Anyway, so Sonia and I were going, walking around the village, and we went to this place. It was called Bazaar. Now, Bazaar hadn't been there since 1980. When I mean that, I mean there was no store there, okay, since 1980. You know, I remember that store, and I remember buying things in that store way back when. Yeah, I do remember that. Okay, so Sonya and I went into this store called Bazaar, okay? And for the most part, I was happy that it was there, okay? Because, like I said, I haven't been in that store since 1980. Okay, anyway, so Sonya and I walked in, but, but the thing that was so curious is when, before we walked in, there was a buoy. In front of the store. And, of course, it was like, it was way past 1989. I mean, or whatever. All I know is that Reagan was not president, okay? And (laughs) there was a buoy in front of the place with Ronald Reagan's picture on it. And I looked at it. I thought it was strange, but I really didn't pay attention to it. So Sonia and I walked in the store. You walk and you see things. Yeah, I can understand that. Okay, so we walked in the store, 
And Sonia was like, wow, it's really weird that they, these people, you know, brought the store back. Brought the store oh. back. So, okay. So we walked in the store. We walked around, and it was the same thing. There were, like, candles. There were masks. Yep. There were incense. There were plates. All right. I didn't buy anything. Sony didn't buy anything. But we were there, uh, there for a good people, half hour. There were other people in the store. You saw other oh, customers. Oh, yeah. There were people in the store. Salespeople and so forth. Yeah. So okay. we stayed in there for about a half hour and we left. Did you see And a I was clock like, that's really anything? cool. I thought it was really cool. Anyway, yeah. so we continued to walk around the city. It was not a big deal. The following day, Okay, that was the weekend. That was like a Sunday. The following Monday, I worked for this woman, okay, who lived on 8th Street. And I went, I went to her house, and I was going to fix her closet. So, because that's what I do sometimes. Anyway, so I went to her house. Her name is Alice. I went to Alice's house, and I said to her, listen, I have a great idea. Since I'm doing your closet... I said, I'm going to buy wood boxes and put them on the top and put all your hats and your scarves and whatever up there and make, like, okay. little tiny, like, cupboards mm-hmm. on the top of your closet. She goes, I was, oh, that's great. She goes, where are you going to get the material? I said, well, I said, Sonia and I were in the village yesterday and right by, you know, 3rd Street. And she goes, really? I said, Yeah. And she goes, really? And I said, yeah, this place is bizarre. I said, you remember bizarre? And she goes, yeah. She goes, how long, when did it come back? All right. And I said, I don't know when it came back. I said, but we walked in the store yesterday. I said, it's cool that it's there. I said, just give me the money and I'll go over there and I'll get the supplies and I'll come back. So she gives me the money. I walk over to 4th Street, you know, 3rd, 4th Street. Right. And when I get there, okay, there's a man standing in front of it smoking. And I'm looking behind him, and the store is completely empty. Oh, no. Yeah. So I <laughs> so I'm standing there. I mean, Nick, I'm standing there in front of him, <laughs> and I'm like, I, like, can't believe my eyes, okay? So what do I do at the time I smoke, too? So I lit up a cigarette, and I said, you know, and I didn't want to sound like a complete nut job. So I said to him, I said, you know, I said, this used to be a really good store. (laughs) So he goes, yeah, he goes, that store hasn't been there since, like, the 80s. Oh, boy. And I said, oh, really? So I'm standing there. Uh, Of course I'm not going to tell him if I was in the store yesterday. So... (laughs) All right, so I'm trying to, like, beat around the bush. I said, how many years has that store been gone about? He goes, I told you, like the 1980s. I said, yeah, really? I said, okay. And I kind of keep on smoking my cigarette, and I walk away from him, and I take out my phone, and I call Sonia. And I said, Sonia, I said, just do me a favor. I said, where were we yesterday? She goes, what do you mean, where were we? We were in the village. I said, yeah, I know. I said, but what was the last store we went in? And she goes, that store, that store, what is it called? Bazaar. And I said, yeah. I said, Sonia, I said, I'm standing in front of Bazaar. I said, and it's empty. And she goes, oh, maybe you're on the wrong block. 
I said, Sonia, I'm not on the wrong block. I said, it's empty. The only thing that's here is a guy who's smoking a cigarette with me, and he told me that there hasn't been a store this since 1980-something. And she goes, you must be on the wrong block. I said, I'm not on the wrong block. So, all right. So a couple of days later, Sonia comes to the village, and we go there, and there's absolutely no store. That's incredible. That's incredible. (laughs) It was like I didn't even know what the hell to say, but – Yep. The thing the thing that's interesting is that you're doing these experiences and uh you're with somebody, you know, right. which they're confirming exactly what you said. This is what we saw and they're confirming that. Yes. Wow. That that's that's again, here we go. That's incredible. Um And can I I've tell you something a, really weird that I discovered about that whole that entire block? Please do. First of all, when I was doing research on Edgar Allan Poe, Edgar Allan Poe is a kind of very interesting character. Edgar Allan Poe actually worked for West Point. Okay. He was a cryptologist. Hmm. Okay. He would do coding. The person who was his uh, roommate in West Point was Morse Code. What do you mean? That's his name? Yeah, Samuel Morse was his roommate. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Now, see, the really weird thing is his mother was Elizabeth Hopkins, and Elizabeth Hopkins was the daughter of Benedict Arnold. This is is wild connections. Unbelievable. You're such a good researcher. I love you for that. Now, here's the thing that's very strange, though. When Edgar Allan Poe disappeared, Okay, supposedly everybody say that he was an alcoholic, but in fact, he didn't really drink. He had an ear problem. Anyway, the long and short of it is when he was found in the street, he was missing for days. And some people say that he's buried in Baltimore or, you know, Baltimore. Other people say that he was actually killed he was poisoned on on fourth street and you know it's interesting because on fourth street right next to the diner okay uh eugene o'neill okay wrote a play okay long long what is it long journey into the night yeah oh yes that park swan park in the back there is a monument You can't really see it unless you're in the park. But the long and short of it is that's a cave. That is the the biggest cave in North America. What? In that lot, yes. What? It's a cave. Wow. It is the biggest cave in North America. And during the time when when Edgar Allan Poe and John Wilkes Booth and Lincoln were alive, John Wilkes Booth met. Abraham Lincoln drinking in that bar. Oh, that's As a matter crazy. of fact, his brother saved Todd Lincoln's life. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's so many connections there. I mean, yep. what are the odds? As a matter of what fact, I don't odds? believe, I do not believe that Lincoln died where they said that he died. I believe Lincoln died in New York. Really? Yep. And I'll tell you why. 
<clears throat> there is the artist, Edward Hopper, okay, sure. in the Royce sure. Museum, which is in Pennsylvania. I discovered that if you look at the pictures of Edward Hopper, I believe that Edward Hopper's pictures, every single one of them, is about Lincoln's assassination. Oh, that's okay. crazy. Oh, Edward wow. Hopper is the youngest artist that was put into a museum. He was put into a museum around 16 years old. Oh, I had but no more idea important, that. More important than that, okay, Edward Hopper did a painting. It's in the Royce Museum. It's called Ivory Soap. Hmm. Curious. And what it is, it's a picture of... It's a picture of Lincoln and his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, in the booth mm -hmm. as they were watching My Favorite Cousin. Wow. Okay. And the another picture is of the famous picture is of the diner. Now, that diner in the village is very important because that's where they schemed and planted and, and for the assassination of Lincoln. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. Not the picture, of course, with uh, Elvis and whatever, but the picture of the woman. There's a picture of a woman. There was a woman involved in the in the assassination attempt on Lincoln. They planned it. As a matter of fact, right in back of Marie's crisis, there was actually a plaque. Really? I didn't know that. Yes, but there was actually a there was actually a street. Okay, there was actually a diner. That was the diner. That diner, okay, which is the Swan Diner, was not originally the Swan Diner on Fourth Street. The diner it was on the corner, and it was a it was actually a bar. And in hmm. Edward Hopper's paintings, one being the Nighthawks. Uh, it shows you a train, okay, in the photograph, because there was a train that went from New York to New Jersey, and that's, in, in fact, how John Wilkes Booth escaped from New York. Okay, wow. Because the train actually went right past his sister's house, oh. and Edward Hopper lived next door to his sister. Oh. Yep. Lorraine, I got to say, and I say this to you all the time, but I don't know anybody that can connect the dots better than you. You really do such deep research, and one thing leads to another, and then when you get to a certain point, you start sharing this information. And right. when you've lectured at our meetings, the Disclosure Network New York meetings, you could hear a pin drop because <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you're such a good lecturer and you, you really, you deliver and, and you connect the dots more than anyone well, I've ever Everything is known. full circle, though. Because, see, Edward Hopper, okay, did a painting. It's called Weehawken, okay? And it makes sense. Right. But the thing that's even more remarkable than that is that in front of the building, okay, in front of the houses on Boulevard East, there was a train, now, why is that significant? It's significant because Sloan and Kettering, okay, which we know as, as the hospital. Right. It was not always a hospital. It was actually the name of the electric train. Really? That's right. 
Sloan and Kettering, actually Kettering and Sloan, have called Alfred P. Sloan. He sold, okay, he made a deal, a compact with the new hospital. He said to the hospital, if you stop making the trains, the electric trains for the new automobile, I will provide you the money to open a new hospital. And that's exactly what happened. And they never made an electric train again. That's incredible. Again, here we go. Wow. That's just another aha moment here. Yep. Uh, you know, I got to say, and I know that you'll, you'll understand why I'm saying this. You know, I love New York. And so do you, of course. Yep. And you walk around, especially the older sections. And if you're uh, a sensitive person, Things start speaking to you in the sense that you feel vibrations. You feel that, oh, absolutely that a, a history, and, and and it's it's directional too. It's it's a well, directional see, the thing. That's so incredible about New York is that see a lot of things are still available to be known because a lot of people go past them every day and they really don't question what they're seeing. Yep. Yep. Like they, for that's example, right. they take it for granted. Exactly. Like in Jefferson Market Library, I told you, I have that poetry class there. But the thing that was so remarkable to me is that the, the, the stained glass were done by Charles Booth. Now, oh. the Booth family, okay, first of all, one, everybody should know that when Abraham Lincoln became president, Okay, during the time he was watching My Favorite Cousin, okay, at the theater, okay, right. that was the first day. There were two things that happened that day. Number one, it was the first day that they didn't call it the FBI or CIA, but it was, it was one of those organizations. It was the first day of it. In other no words, point. it just started. Not only that, Graham Bell, okay, who actually started making hearing aids because Abraham Lincoln was actually deaf. Graham Bell made the first hearing aid for Abraham Lincoln. Here we go. Wow. Here we go again. That's incredible. Okay. That's incredible. As a matter of fact, they claim that that's probably the thing that actually, you know, was the impetus to allow them to kill him. Because that they they what they were thinking what? Well, I don't know that the, that the mechanism some way somehow it assisted them in the assassination okay. attempt. Okay, think of that. That there's a lot of stories about Lincoln. There, um, I, I was actually amazed at how many stories there there are. Um, that, right. That we never we never learn about all the back material. When we were right. in school, you know, we well, learned just a very... Abraham Lincoln's body was supposed to be stolen. Okay? Yes. There's yes. two stories. Abraham Lincoln's body was supposed to be stolen. Well, see, here's the story. The story goes that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, okay? Of course, and it was my favorite cousin that was playing. But the thing that's really strange is that supposedly... Across the street from the theater, there was a family, okay, 
I think it's right. called the Peterson family. And the Peterson family, one of the members of the Peterson family, the son, brought Abraham Lincoln across the street to his farm. Now, see, here's the thing that, that I find is really fascinating. Now, see, as I said to you before, I think everything happens in New York. But I also believe it happened in New Jersey. See, I believe Abraham Lincoln got shot here at a theater here. And I believe it's actually in my neighborhood. And I'll tell you why. There's a movie theater by me. It's called the Mayfair, which originally the name of the Mayfair Theater was called the Booth Theater. Okay, and now here's something really incredible. I tried to contact the person who owned the Mayfair Theater. It just went down. They just sold it. But the thing that was so incredible was that during my favorite cousin at the Wilkes Theater, okay, or the Booth Theater, um, there were four paintings in the lobby of that theater. Okay, they were called, it was called the Four Seasons. Okay. Now, here's the thing that's so odd. When I contacted the owner of this theater, okay, and they were doing, they were getting rid of things, there were, I know, because I was, when I was a little kid, I used to go to this theater. They had paintings just like I had read about. And when I looked at the inside of this theater, it fit all the dimensions of the same theater. Okay, yeah. as the one that Lincoln was assassinated in. And moreover, really interesting is that years ago in the 80s, someone found a Derringer gun. And it had W, okay, it was J.B., John Wilkes Booth, J.W.B., on the Derringer. Well, is that in a museum now? It is not. It was sold off. Okay. Okay, why? Because I, I really believe that it happened here in a little town. But see, it also, the reason why they don't, in other words, they're trying to perpetuate the lie is because Abraham Lincoln was part black. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Supposedly, okay, well, here's the story. John Wilkes Booth, okay, when she, John Wilkes Booth knew, and they were against slavery, okay, but moreover, this part of the country, okay, for example, New York and New Jersey, more so where I am, it was part of England. Okay. Well, okay. And it had different laws. Like, for example, for what they called colored people, there were certain parts of the United States that were strictly for colored people. Huh. Okay. But England... In certain areas, they were free. Like, for example, here's a question most people don't ask. How come, okay, when Lincoln was president, there were two presidents? Who? Yes, there were two presidents. Lincoln. Who was another? Okay, Lincoln was the Confederate. He was the Confederate president. Right. It was America of the Confederacy. It, was, it wasn't just America. And not only that, the boundaries of America were very different than they are today. 
Well, I'm sure that's true, yeah. And not only that, the first five presidents were black. I had no idea. Yeah, they were part black. And Frederick Douglass, probably Lincoln was his slave because he was half, he was a mulatto. Now, did the general populace know of this? Well, where he lives, if he, in fact, did live it. Well, if you see, first of all, the White House is not, I don't believe that the White House is where it is today. It was in New York. And I don't believe that it was where we think it was in New York. I think it was somewhere else. See, one of the things about New York is that all major, major edifices, like, for example, Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden, the first place where it was is Madison Park. Yes, that's right. Okay. And then it went to the Puck Building, okay, which is on 50th Street. Mm-hmm. Then yep. it was on 34th Street. It was called the Winter Garden, which is where oh, yeah. E.B. White's father, no, his grandfather, killed the woman on the, on the he was killed because he had an affair. On the roof. Wow. And his wow. mistress's husband killed him. Wow. And that was called the woman in the velvet swing. There is so much about that era, and we're we're really catching up. I'm sure you you would agree with this. We are we are still catching up to what we oh, thought absolutely. we knew about history, especially American history. Right. And well, there's so many so, lies. Oh, exactly. So many there lies. There's so, so many, many lies. There are so many things that were fabricated. Yep. And the reason why is because the bottom line is if it's a lie and they find that it's, it's, it's not true, well, then they have, to, they have to change that part of history. So they just perpetuate it. They'd rather just leave it the way it is. And as you well know, this goes on to the, this very day. I mean, it's it's incredible what people are buying as as truth when it's when it's totally spin spin. Oh, absolutely. Well, we scale. know for a fact. Like for example, takes like Trinity Church. Like for okay. example, during that time. Now here's a question. Now we know that the first White House, okay, okay, at least the one in New York was burnt down. All right, we know that. Okay, now the first White House was supposed to be somewhere down by Wall Street, right? Because, because uh, George Washington was inaugurated on the steps of Jay College, John Jay College. Yes. Okay, now here's the question, though. If that's true, okay, and that was burnt down, <clears throat> according to history, they then took the White House and they moved it to Virginia, correct? I believe that's right. Okay, now that's not correct, because you know why? I'll tell you why. Because the treasury in New York, okay, was actually Bryan Park. Okay. Okay, and it doesn't correlate to what, what the history goes. In other words, supposedly the White House was burnt down in New York, so they moved it to Virginia, right? Now, Virginia yep. at that time was not, it was not part of the Confederate. It was not America of the Confederate. It was just the Confederate. Hmm. Uh, just a quick look about Bryant Park. 
was that was that at one point a burial ground, and also at one point was it a a reservoir? Yes, but not only that, Bryan Park was actually built. At least the library was built around Tesla's laboratory. You know that, right? No, I had no idea. No, at the center of the library, okay, in the very center of that library, right. was Tesla's laboratory. It oh, my was God. Built, it was built around it. Holy cow. Okay. Ryan Park was another laboratory of Tesla's. I had no idea. Uh, Lorraine, I had no idea that that, that was going on. Yeah, um, that's where he hung out. Tesla. The reason why the reason why Brian Park is anything is because of Tesla. That's where he went. That's where he hung out. Have you ever been to um, the New Yorker Hotel where uh, Tesla? Right, and I don't believe that's it either. They tell tell you the New Yorker Hotel is on on Twenty Eighth Street. I don't believe it was that one. I believe it was. I believe it was the one on Fifty Something Street, close to the to Bryan Park, and close to close to the Grand Central Station. Not there. Okay. Although they'll tell you it's on Twenty Eighth Street. I don't believe that. Also, I just wanted to bring up because I know you're such a, a an incredible history buff of New York City, um, more than anyone I've ever met. Um, I did a uh, a ghost tour of the um, East Village. And when we got to St. Mark's Place, and that street is always, there's electricity there. There's something about that well, whole area. Stuyvesant, and Peter Stuyvesant is, is buried in St. Mark's. You do know that, right? I'm sorry, say that again, please. Peter Stuyvesant is buried in St. Mark's Place. That's why it's there. No, I didn't know that. Is yes. there a grave? Is there a marker? Yes, there is. That's where he was buried. And not only that. Led Zeppelin, okay, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did Houses of the Holy, and that's what it is, Houses of the Holy. It's the Holy Men of New York, okay? That's where, okay, Peter Minuit lived also, but he was born there. Peter Minuit came, and he lived in New Jersey. See, everything is relative, okay? Now, Here's where where I live. Okay, where I live, okay, according to history, okay, according to history, King James, James I, okay, came to New York City. Okay, he owned Manhattan Island. Okay, wow. he did, he sold the Ameri- the Indians. They were called the Lenape. They were actually called yeah. the Lenny Lenape. And the Lenape Indians were albino Indians. Really? No, I didn't know that. They were albino Indians, and they made a pact with Peter Minuet. Now, Peter Minuet supposedly gave them beads, okay, for Manhattan Island. Right, right. Now, before that, before that transpired between that, Okay, it was owned by William the First. Okay, and William the First, the heir was his daughter. Her name was Anne Hyde. Okay, now Anne Hyde had a very terrible end. William the First had two daughters. Okay, Anne and Mary. Okay, now, 
Some people claim that John Wilkes Booth knew that Mary Todd Lincoln was actually Mary Todd Lincoln Hyde. Mm. Okay, that she was the heir of Manhattan. Okay, and that's why she married Abraham Lincoln. And that's why he got assassinated, because he was half black. That's incredible. Okay, but... Absolutely incredible. Now, according according to history, Anne Hyde, okay, was killed and chopped up in pieces, and her body supposedly is under the bull down by Wall Street. Whoa. Yes. Has there been any uh, attempts to locate the body? Uh, I, I don't know if they ever did oh. that. But it's, it's I will all tell stone this and water now, so you probably couldn't do anything like that. Unless right. it was I will tell you this though. I will tell you this. Anne Hyde, before she died, she gave Manhattan Island to Carteret and Berkeley, and you could look this up. Carteret and Berkeley are from New Jersey. Why? Because the transaction between Peter Minuit and the Lenape Indians took place in Weehawken. Okay. It took place by where the stairs are, but of course, West New York and North Bergen and Weehawken auctioned off. There were frescoes. There were frescoes by the stairs, and they were six from 1681, and they just disappeared. Two but if you go to Weehawken, you can actually see where the frescoes were. When so I contacted, private. when I contacted the Weehawken Library. They right. said to me, well, the men probably just painted over them. I said, well, if your men painted over frescoes from 1681, that's pretty stupid. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yep. Wow, that's just incredible. They're, 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 you know, what, when, you, when you're saying these things, there's like a million questions that come to mind the moment mm-hmm. you hear that what you thought you knew, you, you didn't, you didn't know you knew lies and, right. and you have to rethink everything. You know, that might be a Absolutely. good t-shirt question. Well, everything. See, the thing that's so interesting too. See, New York gets credit for everything, but in fact, we Hawkins, Okay. As a matter of fact, if you go by Boulevard East and we Hawkins, there is, there's the Minutemen there. Okay, what people don't realize is those Minutemen are not, at least the sculptures, are not like any other. Those sculptures were actually sculptured by the same person who did the crown in the Statue of Liberty. Oh. Yep. And they're they're different. What? They're different in what way? What they're wearing, the clothes? The sculptor also did the crown for the Statue of Liberty. Right, and he there's no plaque. They don't. People here don't even realize that the person, those Minutemen, were carved by the same person who did the Statue of Liberty. I can imagine. Wow. But there, that's what I'm saying. There's so many things in New York that are right in front of you, and people don't even realize what they are. Like you know, for Lorraine, example, you, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you ever want to write a book, which I hope. I hope you will. I would encourage you to do that. And it could be called um, The Things You Thought You Knew About New York right. Are Untrue. 
And you would, right. you could fill a well, it's post- not even that it's untrue. It's just not told at all. In other words, for example, you have the guy, his name was Carl Bitter. Carl Bitter, okay, was probably the greatest sculptor that ever lived. And the majority of people don't even know who he is. I'm, a, I'm an art major, and I never heard of that man. Never? Right. Carl Bitter wow. did Trinity Church Doors. Really? That's right. He also did Provonia, which is the sculpture that is right across the street from Trump's house. Well, actually, oh. is right Trump Towers, and it's oh, for yeah. um, money. It has it has to do with um, the goddess of for money. Mm-hmm. And oh. uh, Carl Bitter did that. Also, also for the record, Carl Bitter did. A lot of stuff in Grand Central Station. Now, see, people don't realize that Grand Central Station was not in the same location it is today. I do, I do, I've heard of that. Where, where was it originally, Lorraine? It was where now was up by Fifty Seventh Street. Okay. Well, and they moved it. Why? Why did they move it to? Okay, so they moved it because they moved everything. Okay. Right. Now, when Fred Trump, okay, Trump's father. Okay, now you know that he built Trump Plaza on, it was called uh, Pennant, not Pennant Teller, what is it? Um, no, it's uh, Bonwood Teller. Oh, yeah. They, they bought the Bonwood Teller building, which was where Andy Warhol and also Salvador Dali were, they were actually, they used to work the windows of Bonwood Teller. That's how they made their start. Didn't know that. Yes. Also, when when Donald Trump was a kid, probably like in his 20s, Andy Warhol did his portrait, and he didn't like it. Is it still around? Does it still exist? I would imagine, yeah. I don't know where it is, but I yeah. I wonder. As a matter of fact, Bonward Teller, the building, in the movie Time Machine, okay, it's called the mannequin. There's a section of, of Time Machine. It's called the, the mannequin changer. Oh, I know that very well. Yes. That is supposed to be of Salvador Dali. You know that, right? That part I didn't know. <laughs> okay. Salvador Dali, okay, for the most part, was supposed to be an agent, okay, for the government that was working on time travel. As a matter of fact, the chronovisor, it's called the chronovisor, when they made that movie, they were actually doing research on, on on that building. Actually, not that building, the building across the street, which was called the St. Paul building. See, it was the way it was set up, it was to the left was the, was the St. Paul building, to the right was the Bonwood Teller building, okay, Directly in front of the buildings, there was Grand Central Station, which is also why Grand Central Station, the ceilings are backwards, because it wasn't there. They actually took it apart, part by part, when they transferred it to 42nd on the east side. Incredible. Are you there? Yeah, oh yeah, I I was listening to every word, Lorraine. Right. Now, see, I'm just, I'm just thinking about what you were note, saying. I'm kind of, 
a fascinating uh, journey through uh, um, unknown facts. Uh, we Our journey is coming to a close now. So uh, if you can kindly share your contact information, Lorraine, that would be awesome. Lorraine, would you be willing to give out your email? Sure. It's just Lorraine Gibney at AOL.com. Capital L-O-R-R. No, just L, just the L is capital. Capital okay. L. O-R-R-A-I-N-E, capital G-I-B-N-E-Y, right, at AOL.com. Well, thank you very awesome. much. Thank you. And, Nick, you've already shared your contact information, but please do so again. Uh, um, you are a man of many talents and many facets, and uh, I suggest that people contact you all the time. Uh, well, I appreciate that, Hercules. Thank you for that. Uh, real quick, uh, my email, and certainly anybody who wants to contact me, uh, they're more than welcome to do that. Um, it yeah. is N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, in other words, the figure one, at gmail.com. That will get right to me. Awesome. Thanks to both of you for an awesome and informative uh, show. Uh, we're going to take a very brief break, and then we'll be back uh, for part two. We're going to be listening to Dave the Bard's Cauldron Born. Thank you, Lorraine. You've been you good. Thank you.
the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Cauldron born, cauldron born. 
Greetings and welcome back to Pride of Olympus. This is your host, Hercules Invictus, and welcome to our second hour. Uh, We're going to be doing something a little bit unusual uh, today. Uh, We're going to be creating and uh, weaving together the reality of our uh, 2019 adventure, which will involve science fiction, metaphysics, mythology, uh, and a lot of creativity. And I have some awesome people uh, on board. Uh, Nick Curto is still here. Thanks for uh, your first hour tonight, Nick. It was very interesting. Um, My pleasure, Hercules. Thank you. Michael and Dan Duncan are here, and also Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany, our scholars from the Inch of Time, are here. Greetings and welcome, everybody. Hello. Hi. Greetings. Great to Greetings. be here. Greetings. <laughs> now, I'm going to go over. Go ahead, Diane. Oh, I don't think that was Diane. Oh, was that Michelle? No, good evening, Hercules. It, it was Nicholas, actually. We have stereo Nick Nick and Nicholas. We have we have have Nicholas and Nick tonight. Yes, we do. Um, (laughs) Nicholas, the floor is yours. Oh, me? I don't need nothing. I was just saying uh, uh, hi to everyone. It's a pleasure to meet y'all. Okay, great. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I'm. I'm going to share a little bit about the history of, uh, you know, we've talked about this uh, before. I might have even shared the history before, but uh, just for the sake of uh, our starting uh, um, this adventure, um, long, long time ago, back in the, uh, I guess, the 1980s, um, I was thinking of uh, putting together a role-playing game, and LARPs hadn't been invented yet, but I I wanted to put together something like a LARP. And uh, I was interested in what Marvel Comics was doing with uh, um, the Olympian mythos, so I decided I would explore that uh, uh, mythology more in depth. So um, back before the Internet, uh, back before um, the connectivity we currently have, um, it was just basically telling people about it and putting up signs in different places like gaming stores and so forth. And I couldn't generate any interest at all for this idea that I had. So wow. then I thought, well, maybe uh, I could do Norse mythology uh, Marvel comics, which uh, frequently use the Olympians. Uh, and maybe more people would be interested in that because that's more popular. And that didn't uh, yield uh, any results either. So back to the drawing board. I was trying to figure out how I would proceed with this. Uh, and I happened to have a, a FASA supplement on Klingons on my, at my desk. So as people were coming into the um, vocational program I created, uh, it was like a coffee shop. So people didn't know that it was a vocational program. They, they It was a coffee shop. You know, but people in there um, had uh, some difficulties, and this was their way of learning how to deal with stress and go back to work. So I had a desk there. And uh, people saw the Klingon book and were saying, oh, wow, Klingons, oh, wow, Klingons. So I said, okay, I guess I'll have to approach this uh, from uh, a Klingon perspective. So I put together a Klingon role-playing game, and I had tons and tons and tons of people. So um, Bob Larson had done a Hercules in Outer Space series for Marvel Comics, which took place wow. in the 23rd or 24th century, which is around the same time Star Trek took place. So I 
I wove that into the storyline. And this way I could have my Olympians uh, and at the same time, you know, do something that pe- more people are interested in. So cool. it started well, as a role-playing game, a tabletop role-playing game. Uh, and it eventually evolved into uh, doing costume convention appearances for a number of years, for about a decade. And uh, we published a, a fanzine and uh, we were traveling all over the place. And uh, um, it, it was a lot of fun while it lasted. And even when that part of it uh, finished, um, we continued with the role playing game. And it, it went on for years until about uh, um, almost our last year in Pennsylvania. And uh, we ended it with uh, Die Gungan Die and Wookiee Holocaust, which were the two, uh, by that time, Star Wars had gotten woven into it and Men in Black and Stargate and uh, Farscape and Babylon 5. And, you know, this was a long and bizarre journey that a lot of people participated in uh, over the course of uh, a few decades. So, um uh, we came back here to New Jersey. The story continued in a, a homeless shelter where I was running it for the kids there uh, and in uh, a bunch of libraries uh, scattered hither and yon. Uh, we had something called Time Wars, uh, which kind of reset the whole mythology because it had gotten very cluttered. Uh, so we had like a crisis of infinite earths that DC did just to you know, get rid of a lot of the uh, the clutter and uh, except for a small bunch of people, nobody was continuous anyway, but people participated in little bits and pieces. Um, so uh, we did time wars and uh, we tried to get some things started with Starfleet. And finally now that's all uh, running smoothly. So here we are. <laughs> and all of you have an interest in participating. So um, uh, I wanted to hear from everybody um, what is the ultimate fun they would like to get from doing this? Um, and then uh, I, I will weave that into what we're doing. And also I'll propose something that will um, uh, give us a project that we can leisurely work on over the course of a year that will end in a, uh, like a book. Hmm. Interesting. Wow, that's quite a plan. Mm-hmm. Ambitious. Yes. Ambitious, Hercules. Uh, so I will start with Mr. Nick Curdo. And uh, Nick, uh, how, you I know you like Star Trek. Uh, you were there when we did Mythic Atlantis, and I, I think you purchased my Star Trek movies or something, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, so I know you're yes. into Star Trek. How can you Very have the much. maximum amount of fun doing this? Oh, brother. You know, that, 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 that spoke so, so strongly when I was uh, a kid and, and, and started seeing these series. And they were going really into very, very interesting interpersonal relationships. They were going into uh, concepts of of travel and of other other beings from other galaxies. They were going into uh, and doing very deep studies on that and making it fun and entertaining. And they really had such an incredible incredible writers, of course, and that they were. Uh, every every episode had something worth watching, and so I was totally glued with that. I've always been a sci-fi fan, of course, but that particular series just stood right out. Boy, did they get it right! And, uh, yeah, they I love certainly it. I have, did. Have, oh, I have a, a pretty good collection of the episodes, and you know, and the the things that they were exploring were so uh, cutting edge 
can I cutting edge uh, uh, dynamics, and they were using that as part of they were intermixing that with their regular storylines, and so it really made you think. Uh, how many shows can can you say that that did that that actually uh, expanded your your knowledge and what you thought was possible, and so that's why it was so exciting, and that's why the following grew and grew and grew, and boy, they 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 got it right, and it's still worth seeing. Those episodes you can still buy, uh, and um, uh, those collections you can now buy very reasonable prices now too. Yes. and I'll tell you. You could spend weekends with this and just have a great time. Oh. And did you ever get involved in the um, Star Trek fandom uh, at the conventions and people dressing up in Star Trek uh, um, costumes or anything like that? You're going to love the answer I'm going to tell you, and I'm telling you okay. now this is all true. Uh, as you know, I'm a longtime reader-believer in the Urantia book, the 2,000-page uh, absolutely cutting-edge uh, book, uh, uh, Spirituality, Physics, History of Our Planet, uh, expanded uh, uh, knowledge of the other universes and, and what, you know. So, so that book, uh, of course, uh, interested me very much because uh, it had so many elements of sci- sci-fi, but, but for real. So, we, we decided, and we being the Urantia Society of Greater New York, which is a wonderful group of people from Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York, to get together every couple of months throughout the year, and we discuss the Urantia book, and we, we have a program presented in a worship service, uh, always a new, uh, wonderful uh, way to worship. And so, and so we decided that we would get some of the money we have in the treasury and rent a table at one of the Star Trek conventions in New Jersey. Wow. And, because, and why would we do that? Because Gene Roddenberry and his wife, and I believe some of the writers of, of Star Trek, know of and read the Urantia book. Mm-hmm. And so I know, I've talked to people that, that knew them, that they were there reading the Urantia book at that time. So they put a lot of cutting-edge concepts into the episodes. And so... And I'm going to stand on this. I think that's one of the reasons that I was so glued and so many people were glued to the series was because we were experiencing cutting-edge truth from the Urantia book put into the various stories of Star Trek. So what I wanted to do, and they gave me the financing to do it, was get a table for the whole weekend in New Jersey for the Star Trek convention and put out... uh, uh, a paper showing what episodes had major quotes or concepts right from the pages of the Urantia book. So we put together a document, and and we put uh, we gave them free copies of that. We set up the table, and people were coming over and saying, "What in the world is this?" And then we showed them a page from the Urantia book, read it, and then they they said, "Well, that's for episode 129." I said, that's right. <laughs> and they were floored. They were absolutely floored. They said, and we did this for like many episodes of saying, well, that concept is on page 389. And then we pull out the Rancher book and go to that page. And they said, well, that's, that's from that episode. I said, you're right. So anyhow, 
we were doing that, and we literally, I have to say, blew the minds of a lot of people. They said, where can we get this book? We told them Barnes & Noble has it, or there's a website that you can support the movement, which is urantiabook.org, uh, uh, and uh, that's uh, from the fellowship website. And you can get the book there, and you would support the, the work of the fellowship. Anyhow, so i got to tell you one more thing. Uh, we did this for the whole weekend, and I think it was on that Sunday – that all of a sudden um, people were standing around the hallway more than usual and the doors burst open and you'll never guess who came through the door, William Shatner. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and he, with a camera crew running, the cameras were running <laughs> and, and he was there waving and, and saying hello as he went through the hallway right past our table. <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live. That, I that is awesome. That do you still have that document? I do, and I'm going to send you a copy of it. Thank you. Do you think you could expand that document into a chapter? That's a great idea, Hercules. Here we go. You're, you're such a – you're an idea man, my friend. <laughs> and it could so easily told, be that, of course. I think yeah. that will make an excellent chapter in, in the book. And uh, what you share now uh, leads me to segue to uh, uh, Nicholas and uh, Michelle. Um, sure. Michelle is a scholar on things uh, ancient Egyptian, especially mummies. And in wow. addition to the Urantia book, um, Gene Roddenberry was going to channeling sessions with a group uh, that called itself the Nine. And uh, many people have equated the nine to the nine gods of ancient Egypt, the original gods. So uh, just like uh, Star Trek was fed with this stream from the Urantia book, they were also fed from a stream uh, that goes back to uh, the earliest antiquity. Um, and I, I think that would be a fascinating thing uh, to explore uh, through our adventure. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I think that would be great. Um, I was just jotting that down to remind myself. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty mind-boggling because you tapped into uh, um, a lot of different things to, to bring forth the vision of uh, um, Star Trek. And there's so many different threads. Uh, and uncommon threads like these aren't always visible. or They kind of get lost in, in all the other stuff. Uh, but it's it's really, really fascinating that uh, uh, in order to bring a Star Trek, which was a positive vision of the future, um, he went back and he went up. You know, he, he went into the realm of uh, uh, spirit uh, in different directions and started tapping into what he could get uh, from there. How did – what is your experience, uh, Nicholas and Michelle, with Star Trek? Okay, so um, I've watched the original series – probably every episode, but not recently. Um, and I watched uh, Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation. Um, and then after that, I, it kind of hit and miss. Um, uh -huh. I have been trying to uh, Deep Space Nine um, because I heard that's supposed to be kind of good. So um, I thought it would be interesting to watch Star Trek uh, centered around actually a space station. Um, and have the dynamics be a little bit different than, um, you know, be out and exploring the universe. So that's kind of my experience. Nicholas? 
I come from Star Trek with a slightly different angle. Um, in okay. the early 90s, uh, I used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering. And uh-huh. uh, I was really into flexible card games. Well, uh, <laughs> this will sound kind of sad, but uh, one day I woke up and uh, I had a cat who had kittens all over my Magic cards. Oh, and, no. um, <laughs> well, he was there. I that because... Hey, kittens, kittens are cute, but it effectively destroyed my magic cards. But, you know, I was really into CCGs, and after that, I needed something new to, to collect, and I somehow or another just fell into collecting Star Trek, the card game. It was put out by the Cypher before they started uh-huh. doing the Star Wars card. And before that, you know, I'd, I'd seen like a couple of the, you know, movies from the 80s, like on HBO or something, but it was actually the Star Trek card game that uh, probably was my gateway to, well, that IP. Um, it was a little different because, you know, in a card game like Magic, Star Trek, whatever, you know, you'll have a card for every planet or every character, every ship or whatever. And uh, on that card, you know, it would be their names, but also have like a lot of flavor text, like this is so-and-so, they did this, they did that. And so it was a really big... Um, uh, submersion into Star Trek lore. Uh, even like, um, you know, there'll be cards for characters that are just, you know, background characters. Here's just a, an engineer behind the scenes while in the card game, you know, this is a person that has skills and attributes, can do whatever. And so that, that actually is what got me into Star Trek originally was I was playing the card game and, and I felt like, well, I might as well like watch the show and so at the time, it was um, Next Gen was what was on everywhere. And that's that's what I watched. Um, I didn't really watch, you know, Voyager, DS9, Enterprise, or anything like that. I really got into Next Gen and the Next Gen movies. I uh-huh. actually thought, you know, First Contact was like a legit good film. And then, of course, I also got into the Star Trek video games um, that would appear on consoles. Uh, there'd be a lot of, like... Uh, you know, ship simulator type games and uh, our away team type games. And I really like those. So I guess what I'm trying to say is my my submersion in Star Trek was through almost everything else that wasn't the TV show or the books or the movies. <laughs> it, was, it was the paratextual stuff, the card games, the video games, and so on and so forth. That's a very interesting uh, perspective, and it, it's kind of unique. Uh, I don't remember reading, because uh, I was into Star Trek in, in, in all its manifestations. I haven't gotten into Discovery, the new series, uh, at all. I don't think I've seen uh, any episodes. And uh, uh, I caught one episode of uh, The Orville, which is kind of like a new uh, uh, spoof of Star Trek. Um, but uh, I haven't, uh, you know, ever since... Uh, um, the uh, Deep Space Nine went off. I haven't really been following uh, Star Trek uh, all that closely. So that's a very Um, unique approach to it. Yeah, it's a different way to look at things, that's for sure. Uh, I know Michelle and I, we do like the new batch of films. I mean, we saw all the the three new films that are just, uh, you know, the alternate history one. I think they have a special term for that. And we we enjoyed those. I think the third one was the best one because it was kind of a brand new story. It felt like this is like a legit Star Trek, you know, movie or television show without being like a repeat of something else. Um, 
but yeah, we haven't dived too much else into anything. Well, Michelle uh, likes Carl Urban, so there's that. <laughs> uh huh. But, but there's also other like Star Trek periphery things. Like there's a synth pop band from um, I think they're from Sweden called Spock, S P O C K, and they do uh-huh. music that's synth poppy. It's all electronic, but it's all you know from Star Trek lore, and they're phenomenal. Um, and I do, I, you bring up the Orville as a spoof of Star Trek. I haven't watched Orville, but I think I talked about this in a previous episode where I grew up playing the Space Quest games. And those are yes. spoofs of the Star Trek series. And um, so, again, uh, paratextually, I feel like I've, I've been submerged in Star Trek just through other means. And that would be a very interesting uh, approach. Uh, uh, would you care to take that on as your adventure? Uh, I wouldn't mind exploring a bit more, if, if I can be honest, because I think the the original question that you posed to everyone is, what are you looking to get out of this? And, Correct. You know, I grew up playing a lot of uh, RPGs, uh, both tabletop uh-huh. and video games. You know, when I did a lot of uh, tabletop RPGs, you know, there's there's really two styles of play. There's there's the dungeon crawl, where you just got your normal dungeon master, a group of adventurers, and like tonight's adventure where going into the cave, tonight's adventure we're going into the dungeon, and you know it's just killing and looting and it's fun but the other style of RPGs I always liked best, when I was in college uh, every Thursday or every other Thursday or something, I met with friends from the Art Institute and we played a game and it was more of a long form campaign it was almost purely focused on storytelling so mm-hmm. you know, uh, it wasn't every night was a, a specific adventure, uh, one night could expand into, you know, two months of, you know, dialogue and parlay or investigating or even fighting or whatnot. But it was very, uh, not, not, I don't want to say heroic, but it was very epic in scope because, you know, I, I felt like we we're all fleshing out a giant narrative, a giant story, basically, uh, you know, this, um, a long campaign. And I always thought the storytelling aspect or the being, or more importantly, being involved in a story was much more important when you're doing an RPG rather than the other style of play, which was dungeon crawling, looting. All right, I've leveled up my character. I'm really cool. Again, those are fun, but, you know, it's, it's like eating cake. It's sweet, but no substance. I'd rather have, you know, a giant pizza instead. There's a metaphor um, in there somewhere. I, I could see I could see what you're saying. When I first got involved with uh, Star Trek way back uh, when, um, again there weren't uh, computer games and, and any of that, you know, really. Um, uh, that there were, but they weren't very much a part of uh, the fandom yet. Uh, although people played them on their own, but what they did at the time was they had uh, these stories that they uh, um, would weave. So. They would have like different ships, you know, and they would have like uh, Federation ships and Orion ships and Romulan ships. And the ship was a, um, the club was structured like a ship. And then they would interact. And the interaction would be, uh, you know, imaginal. It would be within the Star Trek universe. And they would take turns saying what they were doing. And uh, there were overall guidelines of, you know, where like the general lines were drawn. And then there were moderators, story moderators. So when the lines were 
uh, cross, they would kind of like correct what the person put in there. You know, that this didn't happen, <laughs> you know, that you wrote, you know, and, and these things okay. But otherwise, uh, it wasn't, uh, the story wasn't, uh, you know, very strongly controlled. And it was kind of like that game where everybody says a sentence and then moves on to the next person who had the sentence. And the sentences uh, um, create a story eventually, or somebody uh, tells a little piece of a story. It was kind of like that, but on a bigger scale. Uh, and they would let it go on until it reached uh, some sort of ending. And then they would edit the whole thing and publish it as a fanzine. And then the fanzine created uh, uh, building blocks of the history that they were sharing, the imaginal history. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of basing the, the idea for what I have in mind on that, uh, but also to have uh, factual uh, information um, interspersed uh, between the, the stories, which were kind of like bookend everything. I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense. I could see it in my head, but I don't know if I'm communicating it uh, effectively. We're, we're listening. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, Nicholas and uh, Michelle, what would you like to get out of doing this, uh, other than telling and getting immersed in a in a huge uh, story, as Nicholas suggested? Um, I think that's part of what I would like to do. Um, my my experience with working or, you know, doing role playing has been pretty much just Nicholas and I doing, you know, a story. And so I feel like I've missed out on the opportunity to actually collaborate and work with colleagues. So that's one of okay. the things that I'm really to get out of, um, out of this, this group. Um, but I also think that it's a it's an opportunity, like you said, um, Hercules with working with the nine gods of ancient Egypt is, you know, as part of developing characterization and developing the world, is that that will help me to better understand the material that I'm interested in um, interacting with and to better understand it and to kind of work with, you know, uh, modernizing that uh, for our use. And I think that that will be a great way to learn more about uh, the material. I also think that um, because I'm a very creative person, um, I'm excited because I think this will be a great creative outlet um, that's more on a verbal um, than usually, you know, either writing or drawing or something like that. So I think that will be a lot of fun. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm anal retentive. I have a list. Sorry. Um, also, to um, <laughs> work with developing and having um, an adventure experience with others. So I'm very excited about that, and I think that you know I'm I'm anxious to have friendships grow from this experience, um, to have fun, and uh, to engage with my interests and to be able to share that with others. So that's kind of what I'm looking to get out of it. Awesome. And those are all things I would like uh, for this to lead to. Uh, I consider you all my friends, even though I've only met Nick because he lives in the next uh, state. Uh, but we've been interacting now for uh, quite a while, and I love all of you dearly. So I'm really excited about the prospect of you know doing something new with you. Um, I'm going to go next to um, Michael and Diane, but last but not least. Uh, and uh, I'd like to hear your experiences again with uh, Star Trek. I know you've shared them, but now we're forming this group here. Well, 
thank you for having us on, Hercules, and it's uh, it's nice to meet Michelle. Michelle, yes. And Nicholas. And Nicholas. So we have two Nicholases, and Michelle is the female version of Michael. My name's Michael. <laughs> I don't awesome. know if there are any other Dianes on, but no. uh, oh. <laughs> not not currently, no. <laughs> Maybe Helen. Maybe you'll get a Helen. Well, I'm Helen yeah, Diane. She's Helen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's so nice to uh, to be with all of you. What a what a fun, uh, exciting adventure uh, here. You know, uh, as Nick Nick uh, alluded to uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, and his friends' experience, or the writer's experience, with uh, with the Urantia book. Uh, Nick is a past president of the Urantia book uh, of uh, Urantia Book Society of Greater New York, and I'm a past president of Urantia Book Los Angeles Society. Uh, we're here in uh, Orange County, which is in uh, you know about or maybe an hour or so south of Los Angeles, and we're about an hour or so north of San Diego. Uh, So we're here, you know, we're here in... What's that? What's that? We're over in Orange County as well. In where? Orange County. County. Oh, Orange County. Okay, you kind of broke up there. Where in Orange County are you? Uh, we live North Orange, uh, a little south of Placentia and Yorba Linda. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> wow, we're just uh, yeah. we're just right off we're just right off the five freeway, um, right below uh, Tustin and Irvine, and above uh, San Juan Capistrano. Yes, we're in Mission Viejo. Yeah, about forty minutes what? south of Disneyland. We're about fifteen minute drive. Uh, north east of uh, Disneyland, maybe twenty minute drive. If it's oh, well, how about we that? can be we can be friends. You can just come on down and <laughs> join be, the party. We can be Star Trek buddies. <laughs> well, uh, Gene Roddenberry um, Roddenberry was also from California too. I mean, he wasn't born here, but he certainly lived here a long time. Yeah. So, so did a lot of the did a lot of the filming happen uh, in uh, like Burbank, and uh, where was most of the filming for the Star Trek, uh, like the original? I assume in it was Desi probably Lu in Studios. I, I believe it was. Oh, it was Desi Studios. Yes, Desi Lu with the okay. I Love Lucy was this popular go. thing. There you right, go. right. So, um, you know, we've had uh, we've had quite a, a wonderful time here in uh, Urantia Book Los Angeles Society. Uh, involved with uh, the community out here. And, of course, we've been reading the Arantia book since, uh, you know, the, the 80s. Mm-hmm. So we're familiar with, uh, you know, we're familiar with the idea of uh, different planets in different systems, solar system, local universe system, um, you know, super universe system, Havona paradise systems, where you have, you know, many spheres, um, that are peopled, you know, and people, different people are ascending and uh, evolving on these spheres and having life and learning and all that. And of course, there, are, with the Arantia book, we we learn that there are gods, uh, that there are angels that are assisting these ascenders. The ascenders are assisting the gods to have a more full experience. So we're very familiar with what Star Trek is uh you know is is um is sharing 
is sharing with us all that uh, there's so much life and so many different life forms uh, all trying to work together. So we're happy about that, uh, definitely. <laughs> we have, as a matter of fact, guys, I want, I want you to know that Diane, right here on uh, the back of the chair where Diane is sitting, we uh-huh. have we have a costume, we have a prop from a Star Wars episode. Yes, actually worn by a cast member. Oh, wow. worn, worn by a cast member. It's the next. Gen- it's one of the next generation uh, outfits. It's the. Uh, Oh, I guess you'd say it's black and... And then the maroon red at the top yeah, and the Percy insignia on it. I, I will send you a picture, Hercules, of the uh, suit. And we have all our paraphernalia out here. Oh, yeah, we've got we've got books. Uh, we've got, you know, first generation, next generation. We actually have a really neat book. Uh, it's called Spock's World. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a hardbound with a with a dust jacket and it has um, dust cover and it has a Spock on the front, the Leonard Nimoy Spock. That's really interesting. Oh, that's awesome. uh, but and then I was inspired uh, a number of years ago, actually when we first started getting involved with the Arantia community, you know, heavily involved with the community mm-hmm. in about 2011. Um, I painted a painting. It's kind of an abstract representation of uh, the USS Enterprise flying through space, flying through the cosmos. Um, And it's really interesting. It it doesn't, you know, it has kind of the basic shape of the USS Enterprise, but it has some abstract colors and things like that. And it's flying through the cosmos or flying through this this little area of space um, that is represented by uh, a, a starburst with all these different starbursts coming out of it. It's kind of neat. I'll, I'll uh, send you guys. Uh, I'll send you guys a picture of it. Oh and, yeah. And uh, Michelle awesome. and Michelle and Nicholas, if you'd like uh, a copy, you know, you can give me your email and I'll send you one too. So. Yes, and you're invited to come see us. <laughs> uh, but we're, we, you know, we're really interested in uh, Gene Roddenberry's life and some of the, some of the ideas and ideals. Uh, that went into and concepts, uh, religious, well, actually non-religious uh, concepts, because he was kind of, you know, against organized religion. Um, so we're interested in some of the concepts that he uh, that he wrote into the Star Trek uh, series, uh, both of them, first generation and next generation. Uh, but he also, we found uh, that he made some prophecies that were quite interesting yeah. because because you guys know that uh, Nicholas um Nick Nick Curto and Hercules uh they know a lot of the background of the the ministry that were involved in at this time with the magisterial mission and with the new worldwide religion of love uh this new worldwide religion of love uh being introduced to the world in the next couple of years uh by uh, mother venus and by gabriel they talk about they talk about um, a new worldwide religion where <clears throat> where people's hearts, regardless of religion, uh, race, background, will be opened to a new way of loving, sharing, and caring for others. So there might be some connection with Gene Roddenberry's uh, prophecies of that 
you know, in 20, I think it's 2023, he says that uh, organized religion will be probably falling away. Uh, and then 2024, uh, am, I, am I off there? Oh, yeah. uh, well, it's just that he was saying that by the 23rd or 24th century. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not 2023. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. 20, we're, we're talking okay. about 2023 sorry, sorry. and 2024, <laughs> but he was talking yeah, about the 23rd and 24th centuries. <laughs> yeah, 23rd. Yeah, I was familiar that he made prophecies. That's, uh, so I'm, ju- I'm just learning this uh, new. Um, the Sixth Revelation, which uh, um, is something that uh, you have brought forth, uh, is also the first. Uh, I'm not. The, my familiarity with the Uranta book is only through uh, you guys and Nick, and then the guests that you've had on. So I'm learning about that uh-huh. uh, as we're going along. But I've I've been familiar with the uh, uh, six revelations since I've known you, so th- that I understand uh, a lot uh, better. And uh, the six revelation and uh, the, the magisterial mission and all the things that you're doing uh, have also are also very rich. In uh, Greek mythology, yes. Oh, yes. And with uh, I recently I recently included you guys in uh, the chapter of a book I was writing on uh, uh, UFOs and mythology. And uh, you don't really have UFOs; you have seraphic transports. Uh, uh, right. But the gods the of old are very, are very active and interactive um, in uh, the teachings that you're bringing forth. And uh, it, with the uh, Mark Age also, um, they're not as active as they used to be um, publicly, but uh, they also have, uh, they have a lot of stuff from Hesiod uh, and uh, some of the ancient authors woven into their you know, spiritual uh, tapestry um, and uh, the uh, Unarius uh, folk that are in um, uh, El Cajon in California. Yeah. Uh, they also, their stuff is older than Star Trek, um, as is the Uranti book, and a lot of the themes that are uh, found in Unarius, including Federation, the Federation, they have a Federation in uh, um, the Unarius uh, teaching. So uh, that's one of my areas of uh, study, that uh, you have this living spirituality, not spirituality that is uh, entombed in books, but a very living right. spirituality. Uh, right. That interactive uh, and very much active in in our world, and that these themes that have appeared in fiction um, were predated by um, their their appearing in spirituality, and somehow they've been woven into the our popular culture and what is being called uh, science fiction. Like the Unarians, for instance, right. believe that. There is no such thing as science fiction. Science fiction is sure, the memory sure. of things long past. So all the things we're watching, like Star Trek and Star Wars and uh, all of these other science fictions, are actually memories of long time ago in this galaxy as, where, as well as galaxies far, far away. So uh, I live there. You know, I live in, in this uh, soup of uh, what do you call spiritual... Uh, um, uh, archetypal, you know, forms in their communication. And uh, it's very exciting for me to be interacting uh, with uh, uh, people who are interacting with forces that have been producing these stories since the dawn of time. So I'm interested very much in that uh, aspect of it. And I've had so many synchronistic events uh, since uh, communicating with you uh, that we've shared on these shows that I'm always interested in learning more. So I'm grateful uh, for that. 
I gave this yes. long explanation so that yes. Nicholas and Michelle can understand, you know, why we went from science fiction to, to cosmic spirituality. Yes, the Olympian Pantheon is alive and well. Has been, <laughs> has been, is, and always will be. And always will be. <laughs> in its in its many manifestations, and you know, as as I mentioned before, we have Mother Venus and Gabriel. They're doing something special uh, at this time in the next couple of years, and the gods are coming to us and talking to us. So we're immersed too, uh, Hercules. We're immersed in the living gods. They're popping out of the Urantia book for us at this time. Uh, and they're they're coming to our home and talking to us and helping us to understand uh, what they're doing at this time. Uh, and you know things like Star Trek, uh, shows like Star Trek and Star Wars, as you mentioned, they give us little glimpses. Uh, they may not be you know they may not be perfect representations, but but they do give us glimpses into uh, into what's happening. And uh, you know and and I think what our one of our roles. Uh, or one of the things that we hope to, um, you know, accomplish or be a part of uh, with this group is to, is to sh- maybe share some of what uh, they're doing at this time, some of the things that they're, uh, they want to accomplish, and maybe through a, a study of Star Trek, Star Wars, science fiction, um, we can maybe bridge a gap between uh, popular culture and what the gods want to accomplish and how they want to use us, you know, to, to put out some new messages and maybe help everybody to have better relationships with each other, um, help our planet to evolve to a higher plane, um, find out who the gods are that have been here, are here, and will be here, you know. So this is wonderful. It's very exciting. Very exciting. And that is awesome. Um, so, okay, are we all on the same uh, page then, that this will be an exploratory journey? Uh, everyone has their own way of uh, approaching it, uh, but the material will basically be interacting with uh, living mythology, uh, and the, the common thread in everything we're doing will be science fiction, um, uh, especially initially uh, Star Trek. Uh, uh, later on, the Star Trek people aren't that fixated on Star Trek. They incorporate other uh, science fiction uh, universes uh, into what they're doing, and they said that it'll be fine uh, if we could do the same. Like, I don't know if any of you have been, uh, watched the uh, uh, reimagined Battlestar Galactica. No, I saw a couple Battlestar Galactica. You know, I watched Battlestar Galactica, the the, the older version. What was it like? Uh, late seventies, was it or? Mid-70s, yes, late 70s. Yeah. They, they reimagined it in the new millennium. It was a lot dark, right? I didn't particularly care for the, the darkness of it, but uh, it fully integrated Greek mythology mm-hmm. uh, into the story that they told throughout the course of Battlestar Galactica and then in the uh, prequel Caprica that they were putting together that unfortunately was canceled before it found its uh, voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they took uh, Greek mythic uh, themes... Uh, and wove them uh, like like the original Battlestar Galactica was the ancient astronauts. Uh, it was uh, Greek and uh, Egyptian and other uh, mythologies. It was angelology and Mormonism, all kind of woven together uh, oh. to make Battlestar Galactica the original uh, Battlestar Galactica. And then the the second iteration kept that. They added Exodus uh, from uh, the biblical accounts, and then they mixed in tons of Greek mythology into that soup. 
and uh, uh, it was a phenomenal voyage uh, um, of, in terms of like repeating patterns and breaking patterns and how do you break a dysfunctional pattern that's been guiding humanity? You know, and and uh, what is humanity once you take humanity away from the world it knows and put them out you know, into the void again? So anyway, this is the first conversation, and we're, we're down to our last, like, 13, 14 minutes. So I just want to touch base with everybody to see if, if this is uh, uh, still something that excites you. Uh, we have another seven people who I'm just waiting to, to process you guys, and then the, the second group will be processed. They're not, they're not as uh, creative, um, but they're interested in, like, dressing up in Star Trek uniforms and going to conventions, and I plan on us doing that uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, so how does all this sound so far? Uh, and I guess we'll start well, with Nick uh, well, I, I think, think it sounds exciting. great. Great idea, and I think it's doable, and let's go for it. Absolutely. Sure. Okay, awesome. Um, and I you're just, going to the uh, convention was great, Nick, because um, you know, the people at the conventions are looking. Uh, a lot of people who do Star Trek kind of believe that Star Trek is real. I've, I've heard this by dozens of people. You know, they dress up in the costume and say they know it's a TV show, but it feels real to them. Like th- there's something you know, real in it. And I, part of what we're going to be exploring is what is the reality beyond the, the tales that are told on TV or in the movies or through video games and so forth. Uh, and uh, to add like a, a different dimension to everybody's exploration. Um, I, I got to tell you that one of the... <laughs> I'll come, back to you. I'll come back to you. Oh, okay. And Nick's turn. I just wanted to say that you you get a kick out of this, guys. A few years ago, I had an idea. I thought, now, the Disclosure Network New York is made up of some very serious researchers, uh, experiencers. There's, it's quite a group. And so I had a great idea. I presented to the group, and I said, let's have a party, and everyone should dress like a future you, something you could be living on another planet, you could be on this planet, but like you know, 100 or 200 years from now, come like you would be dressed then. So we had uh, an amazing meeting, a party, where everybody came dressed as, as uh, a being, uh, kind of themselves, but from another realm. And it was one of the most fun meetings we've ever had. And the creativity of these people doing something like this, making costumes, if you will, it was, it was wonderful. And I just wanted to put that in the mix because it was such a lot of fun to do it. Yeah. And uh, Hercules? Yes. Oh, I just wanted to mention before we leave everybody here today um, that Amanda Grayson was Spock's mother. Yes. And my my character that I've always felt that I was like was Spock's mother. Now, oh, wow. the, the mother was a human, of course. She was yes. all human. And she was a girl from Colorado Springs, Colorado, a normal, ordinary girl. And I'm a Colorado Springs girl <laughs> from Colorado. Oh, wow. And I've always felt that I kind of felt like I just kind of fit in there. And then, you know, she went to Vulcan. She went to another planet. She was all involved with all of this. And my my life has kind of been like that, too. I, I had a very ordinary upbringing, um, you know, with Protestantism and so forth. And now I believe 
I'm a pagan, just like Gene Roddenberry said. He said he was a pagan. <laughs> and I've become a pagan because I have all these celestials come to my home and visit me. But I feel like I'm Amanda Grayson. So that would be my character because she was a ordinary California, uh, uh, well, California eventually, but Colorado born and raised just like me. <laughs> awesome. Sounds like a good fit. I'm gonna leave that open. You can be yourself. Like I'm gonna, be, I'm always myself, regardless of whether. Because <laughs> I'm myself. I'm exploring these other planets. I'm by myself. <laughs> so you can be yourself. You can assume a character within the uh, mythos. You can create your own character. I'm leaving that up to everybody. What vehicle they want to use to, uh, um, to have this adventure. Uh, Michael. Yes. Uh, what's the question, uh, Hercules? So, what do you call? Are you on board with this? Is this something you'd be interested in? Oh, on board. Uh, no pun intended, right? <laughs> pun intended. Wow. Okay. Wow. Pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. Yes, absolutely, Hercules. And you know, um, I've been on a fitness program the last. Uh, oh gosh, maybe last. I'd say really three, four months. Really intense fitness program awesome. where I've lost about fifteen pounds. Uh, I've been doing some really good exercise, toning, toning up, and everything. So I am now able to fit into my Star Wars. Sh- I mean, my I'm sorry, my Star Trek shirt. Awesome. Good plan. Good plan. So what I'm going to do oh, at dear. some point is I'm going to uh, I'm going to dress up in my Star Trek shirt, and I'll. Uh, Diane will take a picture of me. And then I'll wear the uh, costume that Patrick Stewart wore. <laughs> oh, awesome. We'll send that picture to you. And wow. we'll send you a picture. I think it's going to make me something to, to wear. It's going to be ancient <gasps> oh. Greek-inspired but spacey. And I'm looking to, like, uh, Plan 9 uh, from Outer Space, uh, uh, uh. Rocket Ricky Jones or Rocky Jones, uh, Flash Gordon. So I'm looking along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> And Nicholas and Michelle. Yeah, definitely on board. Um, uh, Nicholas, are you on board? Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm pretty gregarious, and I like to, you know, uh, hang out and be involved with activities with other folks. Yeah, this is good. this is very strange, uh, but I think it'll be a lot of fun, and it'll certainly be very enlightening uh, as we uh, progress. Um, and... Uh, um, I guess uh, as we near the end of uh, our voyage today, I'll let you guys know when we're having other, um, like, I guess, uh, conversations like this, and you're welcome to participate. And uh, um, I have other folks who are, you know, creative, um, and then I have other folks, like I said before, that, you know, just basically want to go to Star Trek conventions and, and stuff like that. So uh, eventually we'll all find our place and, uh you know, we'll sort through all the beginning stuff here, and and uh, by 2019, which is a few weeks away, uh, we'll officially uh, launch uh, this adventure. Um, do you have any last-minute uh, thoughts to share with our listeners, uh, Nicholas and Michelle? It was a, a pleasure talking with everyone and uh, meeting you all. And in advance, I hope you guys all have a great Yuletide season, and we'll see uh, for next year what cool things we can all accomplish. Yeah, I, I agree with what Nicholas said. I'm I'm it's been a real pleasure to meet everyone and I'm I'm very excited um on this next journey. So looking forward to it. 
thank you. Um, now we will go to Michael and Diane. Oh, yeah. Well, again, Hercules, yeah, we really appreciate you, uh, you know, uh, giving us this opportunity to uh, explore some new uh, new facets of what the what the gods are doing and what they're uh, what what's happening. Um, you know, I wanted to uh, extend an invitation to uh, Michelle and Nicholas to uh, look online. Uh, there are a couple of websites for the Urantia book. There's urantiabook.org. Uh, uh, U uh, R A N T I A urantiabook.org. And there's also uh, truthbook.com and some other websites. You can look at the Urantia book. There's a paper in the Urantia book called um, called um, Government on a Neighboring Planet. It's really interesting because it's supposed to be a planet uh, within our local system uh, that, uh, you know, and they, they give a little bit of background about, uh, you know, what's... Uh, what their government is like, what life is like in this this uh, continental community on a neighboring planet. It's kind of interesting. Uh, might help you to uh, envision some uh, some uh, creative creative ideas. So extend that invitation to you. Uh, but I'd like to say it's it's nice to meet you too. And uh, Nick, as usual, and Hercules, as usual, you're awesome. Oh yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you. You you guys are right awesome. And last but not least, Nicholas Curdo. I can't wait to wear my silver cape. I can't wait. <laughs> I really can't. I'm, 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 seeing, I'm envisioning it now, and I'm loving it. I am absolutely. <laughs> I want a picture and, uh, of it, Nick. I want a picture of you in that cape. <laughs> I actually, at one of the meetings, I, pre- I, I pretended to be someone from a different planet, and I asked everybody to bring questions of what they would ask a being from another planet and we did an incredible meeting where I, I, I answered as if I were from a different place, a different planet. And it <laughs> was wonderful. actually quite an interesting uh, dynamic to do that. They came up <laughs> to the front of the room, and they asked me fairly deep questions, and I would answer, you know, as, as best I could. And it was an amazing. So I do have my silver cape ready and, and <laughs> awesome. ready to go. I'll send and you like a picture of me in the suit. You send me the you in the cape. And I'd like to weave all this into what we're doing. So you guys have already done awesome stuff like this, and we can weave this into the adventure we're having and have even more fun with it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks to all who've joined us uh, from home as well. This is uh, one of the most uh, unique journeys uh, I've ever uh, taken, and uh, I have good company. So uh, uh, if you'd like to uh, join us, uh, please uh, PM me or email me. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, and thanks to all who've listened in. Uh, I wish everybody a happy holiday season and a wonderful new year. Yes, the Vulcan gesture, don't forget. They always say live long and prosper. And to all of you as well, the the, the same. (laughs) Thank you. Much love to all. Thanks a lot. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.
Thanks. Thank you, Hercules. We really appreciate it. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.